Religion, spirituality, superstitions. What do these all have to do with that? Quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. They all play a really interesting and sometimes deadly role in funeral rites and practices. That's right. Whether it's New Orleans and their jazz funeral or the Mayans and their human sacrifices, each culture has their own ideas of what constitutes good funeral rites and burials. Yep. Uh, wait, wait, jazz funeral? Interesting that the jazz comment caught your attention and not the human sacrifices one. We all know that humans are terrible. That's fine. But jazz funeral, like a procession of just like jazz. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when people die in New Orleans, mourners are joined on the street by a brass band. They play music that starts off heavy and sad, but soon turns celebratory, making everybody dance and celebrate the person's life and then mourning their death. I mean, I'd take jazz over human sacrifice any day. So, I mean, yeah, when you put it that way. So, I mean, I got to say, since starting the podcast, I've come to realize just how many beliefs ideas, superstitions there are in the world when it comes to death. I mean, I knew, but this always reminds me that there's a lot and teaches me some that I didn't know. Yeah, and this is why, our dear audience, we've decided to cover a couple of cultures and their burial practices in today's episode. Mm -hmm. It will be just like last season, um, except this time to decide which ones we're going to cover. We got together before this episode to spin our wheel of misfortune. Hamo, you have to spin with your back in it. I'm trying. This is not a very good virtual wheel. <laughs> oh my God. And I got Asia. How stereotypical. <laughs> okay, cool. Did you design this wheel? Is that, anyway, I'll, <laughs> I'll spin for you. Are you sure you're going to be able to handle that? Yes. Asia again. This is a racist ass wheel. Yeah. You rigged it. You rigged it. Do you want me to go again? No, 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 no. It's all good. We'll just do two with Asia. Well, ideally, we want to cover more than just one region, though. I mean, yes. This also isn't the last episode we're going to do like this. So I think we're all good. Sparkle flashback music. That's true. I sense a series brewing. So for future reference, this wheel has seven continents on it. Mm -hmm. That's Oceania, Africa, South America, North America, Antarctica, Asia, and Europe, for those of you unsure of our planet. Is it Oceania or Oce Oceania? Oceania. I know because there was a terrible club in Birmingham named that. Wow, really? Oh, horrendous. Wow, weird. Okay, anyways. And based on where the spinner lands, we pick a burial ceremony or ritual that originates in that region. And so, since we both got Asia, we'll be covering different death and burial practices from that region. Which practice did you end up picking? Well, I've always loved Buddhism, or as you North Americans say it, Buddhism. That's not how I sound. Thank <laughs> you very much. At least not on most days. Buddhism, dude. Buddhism, yoga, meditation. Oh, don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't get me started on that. Sorry. <laughs> so I obviously want to preface this by saying I'm no expert. So if I do get anything wrong, my apologies. I'd love to one day bring somebody a little closer to the faith in to discuss this on the show. Um, but until then, I did a bit of research on tibetopedia.com. That is a real website. Please don't make a Tibet joke. Tibet, to you didn't wait. know that? Oh my God. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so um, a little context. 
Buddhism can be separated into three main groups. Theravada translates to teaching of elders. That's also called Southern Buddhism because it's mainly dominant in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. Southern, gotcha. Then there's Mahayana, which means great vehicle, and is known as Eastern Buddhism due to its prominence in East Asia and China. So if you've ever heard of Zen Buddhism, that's one of the popular sects of Eastern Buddhism. East side. Yep. Then there's Vajrayana, which translates to Vajra vehicle, also known as Northern Buddhism, Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, or just Tibetan Buddhism. It's not just the most prominent form of Buddhism in Tibet, but other parts of the Himalayan region, so like Bhutan and Mongolia. Glad to know the West Side isn't getting any love here. Well, I'm sure they'll overcome this heartache. They're Buddhists. They'll just learn to let those feelings go. Meditation may help. Yep. Uh, Quick side note, I'm a vexillology nerd. That means the study of flag design. And if you get a chance, Bhutan has one of the most badass flags in the world. Please look it up. Um, While I'm here, Tibet's is pretty cool too. I can actually vouch for this very unique flex ammo has. I once quizzed him on random flags I found on Google, and he was able to break down where each one was from and for which country they were for. I was pretty impressed. With that said, I'd also like to acknowledge that you guys don't just learn about death here. You learn about flags too. We're a well-rounded group. Yep, I can identify pretty much any flag except for the red ones my ex had. Uh... <laughs> Oh, okay, right. Anyway, so oh, wanna... oh my god, I hope you get better at identifying green ones at some point. Then <laughs> we'll see. Um, I'm a vexillologist, not a good human. Um, so I want <laughs> to. Th- sorry, that's what your therapist is for, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, I want to focus on Vajrayana Buddhism or Tibetan slash Northern Buddhism today for the funeral rites. Mm-hmm. So, Tibetan Buddhism, like many other forms, wants to achieve the enlightenment of Buddhahood, to become enlightened, basically. They do this for the sake of all sentient beings, for a better world. Now, they also believe in your regular Buddhist stuff, you know, the Four Noble Truths, karma, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Tibetan Buddhism believes in both reincarnation and rebirth. Oh, yes. I actually remember studying this in my thanatology course. Now, the difference between reincarnation and rebirth. Go. Okay. Yeah. So this all depends on karma. Rebirth is an involuntary process that is due to one's karma and will happen to every being. And I'm not talking about the kind of drama that you see drunk middle-class white women ranting about on Instagram live at 3am. Karma doesn't work that way. I mean, they're not always drunk. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of guess that Karen's wouldn't exactly be a bastion of Buddhist principles, but Mm -hmm. reincarnation, however, is a voluntary process that is not dependent on karma and will only happen to custodians of a specific lineage of teachings. So think your Dalai Lama or your Banchan Lamas. The West has so many misunderstandings about Buddhism. Oh, we do. We really do. It's Basically, we want a fast food faith. So rather than karma affecting your next life, they just, oh, that's Sandra with her Facebook posts. She'll get it in this life. And it's like, that's not how that works. Stop it with your crystals and and just bathe your kids, dude. Um, In real Buddhism, all beings are born in different realms of existence. 
like the animal realm, the human realm, the godly realm, the ghost realm, all of that stuff. Which realm you were born in, in that particular lifetime, depends on the karma committed in previous lives. So if you do bad karma, then your rebirth is going to be in a lower realm, befitting your actions in that life. Alternatively, if you do good karma, your birth will be in a favorable realm where you'll enjoy a good life. So basically, beings take birth after birth after birth in different planes of existence, depending on their karma. So are you saying that I could be put into the godly realm next or the ghost realm? My darling, you already are put in the goddess realm. Oh my God, that was so unexpected. Thank you. <laughs> so it sounds like it's a game show. Wow, I'm going to be blushing for us the, the show. It sounds like a game show. The karma is right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, like I said before, I'm no expert on Buddhism, but I like to think of it as like an old school video game. So karma is your score and the different realms are the increasing levels and you unlock those levels by increasing your score. But it's important to note that your karma is not set in stone. So if you're born into a better realm because of your good karma in a previous existence, you will have that karma until the fruit of your actions are used up, right? And likewise, you'll have to equally suffer the consequences of bad karma in a shittier realm until you've paid your dues, right? Boom, you got it. So you keep leveling up, so to speak. <laughs> Apologies to the Buddhists until you attain enlightenment, after which there's going to be no more rebirth because you're already in nirvana. So effectively, the Buddhist idea of hell is constantly coming back. Um, that makes me want to live a really good comic life because I've been here for 30 years now and I cannot think of a worse hell than having to do this <laughs> shit all over again. <laughs> oh, we are so putting that on a shirt. As long as it's black and machine washable, I'm in. I'm hearing a lot of talk about Tibetan Buddhism and not a lot of talk about Tibetan Buddhist funerals, mister. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. This is all context. This is all meant to say that in Tibetan Buddhism, the body is just seen as a vessel, right? Or a weak meat sack, as I like to call us. Exactly. But from a practical standpoint, Tibet is a pretty mountainous and arid region. Much of the ground is... Uh, too hard and rocky to dig a traditional grave. And historically, due to the scarcity of things like fuel and timber, cremation is not going to be your easiest option either, right? So that's where sky burial comes in. Why not let the vultures do what the ground cannot? Ah, uh, yes. Wait, vultures? Mm -hmm. So this process is called Jahatur, which is also the name of a wicked song. Um, sky burial... Jahatur is typically how regular folk in Tibet deal with their dead. But while it's also practical, it still has a lot of religious and spiritual significance. Okay, so we're just totally bypassing the vulture comment. Cool. Good to know. <laughs> so the vultures represent Dakinis, um, and Dakinis are the Tibetan equivalent of angels. The vultures eat the flesh of the dead, which represents the soul ascending to the heavens, awaiting the reincarnation to their next lives, right? So like a waiting room, uh, Dakinis actually translates to Sky Dancer. Hold me closer, Sky Dancer. Oh, Elton John? No? Okay. <laughs> so this um, donation of human flesh, as I guess we'll call it, isn't just giving back to the vultures either. 
because it saves the lives of those small animals that the vulture might otherwise prey on. Oh, double karma points. Yep. Bonus score. (laughs) So the entire attitude of this is one of the reasons I actually have a lot of respect for Buddhism and why I hope I'm doing my best to recount the process. Sorry again, Buddhists. This funeral process actually calls back to when Sakyamuni, one of the Buddhas, demonstrated this virtue as well. So to save a pigeon, he once fed a hawk with his own flesh. Talk about selflessness, hmm? Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So then loved ones are encouraged to witness this ritual, to confront death openly and feel the impermanence of this life in comparison to the greater idea, I guess. That is uniquely beautiful. Mm. Now, obviously, this isn't just a case of them dropping them unceremoniously on a mountain. There's an incredible process to it, right? So do you want me to go through? Imagine if I said no. True. Well, that's your lot, everyone. That was a good episode. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to follow us. Tune back in two weeks. No, seriously, go. Yes. I want you to go (laughs) through it in detail. Thank you. So... After death, the deceased will be left untouched for three or so days. Family members choose a special day for the sky burial to take place. And in the meantime, monks or lamas are asked to read scripture aloud in the house so that souls can be released from purgatory. Not to be confused with actual lamas, like the animal. Yeah, yeah, that's, they can't read. So that's an issue. I think they also can't speak, but yes. Yeah, also, I don't think they're Buddhists. But if they can't speak, we can't confirm it. Can't confirm it. Anyways. Um, Yeah. Stay tuned for season three. We'll figure that one out. Uh, (laughs) Burr's new groove. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, that's brilliant. (laughs) All right. So uh, during this time, the family aims to create a really peaceful environment in the house to allow the passage of the soul. Before the day of the sky burial, the body will be cleaned and wrapped in a white cloth moved into a fetal position, which is the same position the person, I guess, came here in. Oh, that's cute. Mm. It's like, send me back to the void. Right? It's literally, you know, as you were. (laughs) (laughs) So on the special day before dawn, uh, lamas lead a funeral procession to the charnel ground. That's a site where the, uh, the death burial happens. Due to the nature, they're obviously normally pretty far from residential areas and much nearer a monastery. Incense is burned to summon the vultures while the body is prepared. Uh, The people who prepare the body are called body breakers or bone breakers. I've heard of jawbreakers, but I have a feeling this isn't a sugary snack you put in your mouth. Absolutely not. Um, Before I continue, let me stress once more to remember that at this point, in their point of view, the body is an empty vessel. So their body is not what the family of the deceased is attached to. Right. So given their beliefs, they're not going to have the same attachment to the body that they would, which is fair. We should probably warn the audience that the rest of this conversation is going to get a little graphic. So you may want to skim, listen to the next, what, 15, 20 seconds? Yeah, that's about right, I think. So the body breakers unwrap their deceased and use hatchets and cleavers to quickly cut the empty vessel up. The flesh is cut into chunks, the internal organs are cut into pieces, the bones are pulverized and then mixed with uh, sampa, which is a staple food for Tibetans. It's basically roasted barley flour. 
then the vultures are allowed to consume the vessel in stages until the body's all gone. That is incredible to me in so many ways, how straightforward they are as it comes to basically facing death, mixed with their ability to distinguish the physical and spiritual world and their beliefs. Like oh, yeah. So so many levels. 100%. Um, and like I said, this is the process for most Tibetans, right? Mm. Um, but there are other less common methods. Um, I've got a list here. Um, mm-hmm. So the stupa burial is the most noble and sacred one. Uh, that's reserved for your Dalai Lamas, your pension Lamas, or your living Buddhas. That's where the embalmed body is dehydrated and wrapped in like rare herbs and medicinal spices. Um, and then gold flakes and saffron and other, you know, really rare kind of um, natural elements are scattered on the body. Embalmed. Do you mean like embalming fluid, like formaldehyde or embalmed with something else? Oh, no, there's obviously like a natural way. A they natural do it. version yeah, of this. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Go on. Um, there's also the fire burial, which, you know, is just cremation to you and me. Uh, that's reserved typically for high monks and aristocrats. And so. Um, yeah. Then there's the water burial. So it's where the body is wrapped with a white cloth and, you know, disposed of into a river. Those that have died of infectious diseases aren't given to the vultures for obvious reasons, but they're actually given a really rare earth burial. Um, it's important to note that, you know, Tibet isn't all just rocky and hard. There are valleys and all of that. Um, mm. But even with the birds there, I have to say, the tourists are the real vultures here. Oh, God. What are the tourists doing? Well, normally, strangers are not allowed to attend a ceremony and Photography is strictly forbidden because these sort of things may negatively uh, impact, like the ascent of the soul. Oh no, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, and do you think this stops a huge number of scumbag tourists from like disrespectfully like barging into these rituals? No, nope. like imagine you're you're burying your uncle. Um, I don't know a Buddhist name, but we're going to call him Ted. Let's say you're burying your Buddhist uncle Ted in Tibet. And, you know, a bunch of tourists hop off a bus and start taking pictures and laughing and shit like that. I don't care how much of a Buddhist you are. That pacifism stops, bro. I'm swinging hands. (laughs) Just so, just culturally unaware. Like, people are honestly the worst. Maybe the vultures will get them. Well, yeah, hopefully. But um, I'm going to tell you, if my karmic score is going down if I see that. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's going up, depending how you look at it. True, yeah. I mean, one can only hope. But um, yeah, yeah, that I'm pretty much wraps up, you know, the Tibetan sky burial. Um, what did you get? Yeah, so I feel like I always do Greek people or Greek things for these episodes. So I'm glad we landed on Asia, actually, and I'm looking forward to doing a different culture. Cultural awareness, that is. Um, that's not to be confused with cultural appropriation. Definitely not. Remember that one time we spoke about a culture that would actually dig up their dead relatives years after the funeral, but we couldn't remember who they were? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And they'd actually have, like, the body in the house with them, like, right before Mm -hmm. the funeral. Yeah. Um, Who were they? Well, it turns out that they are the Toraja people of Indonesia, who are indigenous to South Sulawesi. Death seems to be a focal point of their culture. Huh. So, you said cultural... Is it like a religious cultural thing? So it's a little interesting. Most of the Tarajan people are practicing Christians, thanks to the Mm. Dutch occupying their territory in 1906. 
but animism is still very much part of their belief system. Animism, like animorphs? Did you have those in the UK, by the way? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, there's a general rule about animorphs, which is when you look at the cover, there's usually like five stages. Mm-hmm. Usually the second or third is the most cursed looking. I, yeah, it's bad. Like, it's each one just looks like Steve Blashemi. <laughs> Doesn't matter what the animal is or the person. Oh my God. No, so animism is the belief that non human entities such as animals, plants, and even inanimate objects possess a spiritual essence. It's quite beautiful. Depending on how you interpret it, it can mean respecting and being kind to all things around you. Huh. I mean, that's obviously quite similar to, to Buddhism, um, except the, you know, I think one of the criticisms of, of Buddhism is that the human realm is perceived above the animal realm. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm assuming with, with this, everyone's sort of on the same level, I guess. Yeah. From what I was reading, it seems like everyone is, you have to respect everyone because everyone is deserving of respect. So mm-hmm. when a person dies in this community, they aren't considered dead. What do you mean? Like when, or they're just sleeping, like will they wake up with a kiss, like Sleeping Beauty? <laughs> First, no, that's wrong. Second, before the actual burial of the body, these people are thought to be in makula, which means a sick person. This is the time where the family takes care of their loved one. Oh, so, okay, I really like that. That's an interesting outlook. Um, mm-hmm. But how do you take care of a dead person? Well, this time period is to... But, wait, period? How long <laughs> yes. is... So they just leave this body out? Like, cause, like Buddhist, three days, I get it, makes sense, right? Nothing's going to really happen in that time. But how long do they deal with... Well, like everything else in the world, this is dependent on your class. There it is. Good old classism. So the poorer people keep the body in the house for several weeks. The middle class keep the body for several months, sometimes up to a year, while the upper class keeps the dead body in the house for a few years. In the house. So like Mm -hmm. just people just hanging out, chatting with dead Uncle Ted, who's no longer a Buddhist, but is now Indonesian. (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah just pure vibing with uncle ted in the spare room dude and again this is like us being westerners but i don't know how i would handle that to be honest seeing a dead loved one in a room for like you know up to a year basically yeah i'm on it Honestly, I'm not sure how I would personally handle it either. I was watching some video documentaries about this. So while the person is makula, which means sick, their loved ones bring them food. They change their clothes to stay in style and Hmm. chat with them like they were still there. And this isn't just the adults. This is the children too. They get involved in these activities. I mean, we obviously picked this culture because it has a really unique perspective on how to deal with the dead from a physical standpoint. Um, you know, it's a really unique perspective and it's a fresh new meaning. Any reason, like what's the, how, why do they do this? Like what's the cultural slash religious reason that they do this? So they have this belief that this is their way of honoring the soul of the dead body through all these acts of feeding and changing their clothes. For example, they also hope that if they take care of this body, the dead person's spirit won't haunt them later on. Huh. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's really beautiful the way they deal with it. Um, 
generally, you know, Uncle Ted isn't going to haunt me unless I was the one who murdered him, right? In that case, it would make me pretty self-serving and a murderer, but I digress. Did you murder Uncle Ted, Emma? Is this your confession? (laughs) That said, everything we do as humans is self-serving to some degree. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. So then uh, the body stays in the house, depending on uh, your class uh, standing for X amount of time. And then when it's time to process or bury the body, what happens? A ceremony and a party takes place. The funeral is also the point in time when the person is actually considered dead. There are animals and... Uh, the animals killed. Yes. Sadly, sacrificed. Why is it always animals? I mean, other cultures sacrifice humans. Is that any better? That's very true. We did learn that on season one of Phil at Timo Live. Yeah. So buffalo are seen as an important element in the funeral ceremonies. This is because they're seen as the vehicles to the afterlife for the dead. Any funeral that doesn't have buffalo sacrificed is said to create a longer journey in the afterlife for the person's soul. It's like uh, that game I was telling you about. Spitfire. Spit. Fuck. (laughs) Spit. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. Jesus. Spiritfarer. Oh, and... Forget that. I want to talk about Spitfuck. No. <laughs> Another one Spirit for the blue Fuck. Spiritfarer. Spiritfarer. Ah, but obviously with less animal sacrifice. Total side comment. I want to say that I've heard great reviews about this game. Yeah, same. Uh, my friend Sean told me about it. Uh, its entire premise is that it, it's an indie game, first of all. So it's, you know, one of those more art style over, you know, throwing money at it type of deal. Um, It's a game about the afterlife and it seeks to kind of ease that terror of death. Right up our alley. Have you played it yet? Not yet, but it is on my list. Oh, I haven't played it either. Gaming party? I have a proposition. This is pretty forward of you. We're in the middle of recording. Behave. Also in your dreams. (laughs) Go on. So, gaming party, but Filatimo live stream. Also, more like my nightmares, but anyways. Uh, I don't think people can handle me gaming, to be honest. Okay, is it like you trying to read words? Let's... Is it just drawn out and multiple more, attempts? and More like you trying to talk. Yeah, that too. And keep focus on one thing at a time. What were we talking about? Exactly. Uh, let's just say there's a reason I don't play COD anymore. Can't handle the shit talk, bro. It's more like, I don't want to make you cry. I don't think you can make me cry any more than you already do. For the record, I want everyone to know that I spark the utmost joy into Ammo's life. I mean, you do on most days, but right Mm -hmm. now you've just not agreed to do a gaming live stream for Philatima Life. I said, we'll do it. It's fine. We'll do it. Excellent. Now, where were we? Um, animal sacrifice. Ah, yes. Fantastic. So after the buffalo are sacrificed, the bodies are relocated to the family tomb where they're placed in a coffin that's usually filled with their prized and most valuable possessions. Typically, what are those? Like, we're talking rings and heirlooms and jewelry can- and all that? It could include rings, heirlooms, glasses, certain clothing that they really enjoyed. And it's pretty unfortunate, though, because apparently grave robbing is an issue in some of these areas because of how many valuables are actually buried with the dead. 
Yeah, that's sad. Uh, especially considering, you know, how much death is a focal point to this yeah, situation, it, I guess. Yeah, it, it, some of just it doesn't make sense. So after the funeral, the family leaves, but not for long. The families come back every few years or so for something called manene, which literally translates to cleaning of the corpse. Clothes on the dead are replaced for more fashionable items, and loved ones check in on their relatives. Like a big family reunion, except this one includes, you know, the ancestors. <laughs> exactly. One of the videos I watched had a lovely explanation from a man in regards to what manene is all about. He said, it's a reminder for us to show love to our ancestors. And it goes on to say, he can show gratitude towards them as he would not exist without them. On a personal note, I recently did some more of my family genealogy. For those who don't know what that is, it's where you trace your family lineage to see where you come from. I was left in awe when I was speaking to my yaya, my poopoo about this, because I was able to see on paper how many people came before me and how I came to be into existence. So what I'm saying is many things had to have happened for me to simply exist in this present moment to be doing this podcast right now with you. And it's all because my great, great, great yaya and my great, great, great papu Likurugu gave birth to my great yaya Kaliopi and gave birth to my yaya Maria, who gave birth to my dad, who met my mom and who had me. I just think that's incredible. That is pretty incredible. Um, it's, it was a lot of words I didn't quite understand, but it definitely was incredible. <laughs> they were names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've thought about doing that for my family too. Um, I wanted to create a painted mural that looks like an actual tree and that tracks like my mom's side and my dad's side because Indian, um, I'd need more of a forest than a tree. And with ADHD, everything has to be done right now and it has to be done perfectly. I feel you. Oh yeah. So the Manene and the Makula, was that right? Mm-hmm. So... What's your thoughts on these ceremonies? In what way? Like, um, like in the process of grief, do you think they help or hinder it? That's a very interesting question because it actually crossed my mind when I was doing the research. There was a point that one of the elders in the community mentions that they view the physical relationship still continues after death with the living, even after burials, which helps the mourning process. And with Teresa Rando, a clinical psychologist who focuses on bereavement, she mentions the importance of maintaining and reframing your relationship with the deceased person after their death. Uh, reframing the relationship, how? So Teresa's model falls under the six R processes of mourning. We briefly mentioned it in season one in episode six, the models and processes of grief, though the model is a bit lengthy and sometimes needs a whiteboard to explain. Can't take a step. I will give it my best. So there are six R's in this process. They are recognize the loss, react to the separation, recollect and re-experience the deceased and the relationship, relinquish old attachments, readjust to the new world, and reinvest. I'm particularly speaking about the fifth R, which is adjust to move adaptively in the new world. This means you need to develop a new relationship with the person who dies and adopt new ways of being in the world that establishes a new identity for yourself. With the Taraja people, this process came to mind because they've created both new and still recreate old ceremonies with their dead loved ones. Because the whole point of the Menene is to still go and feed and change their clothes and, you know, to chat with them and basically hang out with them. But the dead obviously don't talk back or engage with them, um, not physically at least. 
Right. So typically when it comes to this grief model and many others, the focus is to create space to learn to live with one's loss, not to find some once and for all closure where it's no longer a part of you. Kind of like what Linda mentions in episode 13 of the season. Yeah. So she mentions that closure isn't necessarily a real thing. Uh, You know, it's a myth. And I think I had a little rant at that point too. Mm -hmm. It's about learning to live with your new reality. So how in last season we talked about Edgar living with his new reality when his wife died in, in that story. Exactly. Like reframing your current reality so you can move forward. Mm. So from that perspective, I wonder if Western culture at least can create spaces to actually acknowledge the death instead of quickly getting the body buried and into the ground and out of sight as soon as possible. Yeah. And this could also give people more space to better process um, and actually acknowledge loss, I think. Yeah. So the interviewer in the BBC documentary that I watched, which we will include in the show notes, actually talks about the loss of her dad and contemplates if the rush to have him buried helped or hindered her grief. It's a quick nine-minute video, definitely worth a watch. Hmm. And I just realized we've been through quite a bit today educational and there's oh so many more ceremonies and perspectives on death we have to cover that's correct so is there a cultural death practice you want us to dive into shoot us an email at philatimolife at gmail.com or send us a message on any of our social channels that's p-h-i-l-o-t-i-m-o-l-i-f-e we're on twitter instagram facebook tiktok basically everywhere there is a social platform as always i'm glad you can spell it You're really making me carry this podcast here, all these letters. Mm -hmm. Anyways, thanks for listening and be sure to like, share and rate our show. Bye.